Let's open our Bibles to Daniel, chapter 9. This is one of the most remarkable chapters in Scripture. I'm quoting uh, Dr. Philip Newell, uh, his evaluation of this chapter, the greatest chapter in the book and one of the greatest chapters of the entire Bible. The double theme is prayer and prophecy. If one were to choose the 10 greatest chapters on the Bible on the subject of prayer, this chapter would be included on any list. If the 10 most important chapters on prophecy were chosen, this chapter would again be included on any list. Uh, The first 21 verses uh, give us the prayer of Daniel, and then the final six verses gives us the very important prophecy of the 70 weeks. So through chapter nine, we're just gonna look at uh, the first verse here. It gives us the time. It was the first year of Darius, uh, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, last week in chapter eight, remember, we're not going in a chronological order. Uh, when we get into Revelation, oh, this is important because Revelation isn't necessarily going to go in a chronological order either. And there's going to be certain similarities that we find in Daniel that we're going to find in the book of Revelation. I stumbled across one today that I never saw before. And I'll bring that up when I get to it. So now we're back in the first year of Darius. First year... Uh, the first year of Darius, of the seed of the Medes, um, the two significant questions are, who is Darius and what was the date? Darius the Mede may be identified, um, tough name to pronounce, Cyrexerus, the second of secular history. D- Darius is more of a title, such as king or czar, emperor, than an actual name. Um, there has been some disagreement to the exact date, but Newell uh, thinks it's 538 B.C. This would have been the, wa- the man who conquered Babylon back in 538 B.C. So f- first one gives us sort of the time frame. As we look at verse 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understand understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Uh, Daniel was a student of Jeremiah. Jeremiah had one message. It wasn't encouraging at all. Um, You're going into captivity. I'm going to use... the king of Babylon as my instrument, so I don't want you to fight against him. And um, we, we find in verse two, this is the first year of the reign of Darius, Daniel now sees a new great world empire coming into position, and he's wondering about the future, and especially the future of his own people. So Daniel turns to the study of the word of God. He reads the book of the prophet Jeremiah, who said, 
that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years. Again, the date is about 538 B.C. in this chapter. Daniel, at this time, is between 85 and 90 years of age. Uh, He has been captured back in 606 B.C. when he was about 17, 17, 18, somewhere in that time frame. That means that the 70-year period has come to a close, and it's about the time that these people would be given the opportunity to return to their land. So he's just checking off the days. And he knows exactly how long uh, they're going to be there because Daniel said, you're going to be in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel was taken. There were three sieges by Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and his three buddies were taken in the first one. And so through this whole 70-year period of time, Daniel has been in Babylon. Then uh, we have the prayer, and this begins in verse 3, and I'm simply going to read it and then comment on it after we've read the prayer. Verse 3, then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our king and our princes to our fathers and all the people of the land. I think he's referring to Jeremiah. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to be our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God, who walked in his laws, to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, All Israel has transgressed your law, has departed, so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, um, the servant of God has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And this would be fulfilling, if you're taking notes, uh, Leviticus 26, verse 14. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such never has been done as what's been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, as this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord 
our God, that we might turn from our iniquity and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those who are around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication for the Lord's sake Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Remember Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroyed um, Solomon's temple, which was unthinkable. Um, Jeremiah said it would happen. The people didn't want to hear that message. Um, the false prophets were saying, let's be, let's be real here. God's going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And of course, that was a popular message, so that's what the people heard. And what we should feel as we get to the close of this prayer is Daniel is getting more intense and he's going to bring himself personally into this prayer. But when it says in verse 17, your sanctuary, which is desolate. Well, that was unthinkable that that would ever happen. Oh God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and a city which is called by your name for we do not present our supplication before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. And here it builds. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city, for your people are called by your name. One of the longest prayers uh, in the scripture and um, it takes up most uh, of the chapter. And as I read this prayer of confession of um, a nation's sin, um, you know, you can't help but think of the similarities between Israel's sin and America's sin today. And um, we... From 1973, it's been all down, uh, 63, it's been all downhill. We've mentioned this a couple times. This is when prayer was removed from our public schools. And then in 1973, January 22nd to be exact, we had Roe versus Wade. So I went online and did a little research because I wanted to know how bad it's been since January 22nd, 1973. Well, 1.5 billion babies have been aborted in the last 50 years. 1.5 billion, that's with a B. Uh, 50 million every year worldwide are aborted. Every two seconds, a baby dies. Every time your heart beats, a baby is aborted. So as we're sitting here and your heart is beating, every time your heart beats, 
a baby is aborted. And when I notice um, these similarities and I see the decline of the nation, let me quote Billy Graham. This is something that Billy said when he was still alive. Billy Graham once said, if God doesn't judge America, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And um, that is, that's quite a quote. And you look at what's going on today and we all wonder. And I'm not saying that this is happening um, because of the sins of America. But I can't help but see the similarities that are there. So I'm not going to try to um, uh, exclude or take away that we have unprecedented things going on as I speak. And I have to confess to you, it gets to me. Um, I force myself to watch the news, even though it's very, very hard to do. But unless I do, I can't tell you how bad it really is from the pulpit. And I go crazy. Judy will leave the room. And I said, well, I have to watch it so that I can talk about it. And um, I mean, it is just so over the top, the amount of fear that is infecting our, our country today. And it's having a psychological effect on especially those. Not only, it it's, has taken an effect on me. I wake up in the morning going, is this real? And is this really happening? And um, talk about one of the signs from a global pandemic, which it's really not. And um, I watched a, a great video today by Dr. Ron Paul. I didn't realize his doctorate was one from really being a doctor. Uh, he was a physician, so his comments, I listened to him for about a half an hour, and he's putting it all in perspective. What they're telling us is the so-called number of people that are dying of covert. Listen, if you die, you're going to be counted, period. It doesn't matter what you die of. You're going to be a part of that equation. He has the numbers and facts and brings them out. So I would Google it just to get um, a balanced viewpoint of what's really going on because you're going to get bombarded by ABC and CBS uh, just the other way. And it perpetuates this um, sense of insecurity and fear. I don't know how people handle this if you don't know the Lord and know Daniel chapter 9. And that God has a purpose and a plan. And he's going to allow this to happen. It's a precursor to where we're going to be on, on Sunday. Just a little teaser here. We're in... Um, we're in between divisions of the book of Revelation. We just finished the seven letters to the seven churches. That brings us to the third division with chapter four. So what I'm gonna do this week is do Ezekiel 38 because I think that's the next thing that's gonna happen before the rapture. We really don't know. Revelation 4, one is about the rapture of the church. And we don't know if Ezekiel 38 happens before, during, or after. But so I'm gonna um, do a couple side studies as we make our way through um, the book of, of um, Revelation. And because of what's happening in, in Iran, and Ira- uh, um, Turkey, and Russia, their involvement 
right now. Um, it's the rhetoric and the heat is really getting turned up between Israel and if you're watching what's taking place in Iran. We just, I was t- talking with Zev. We were talking about the this, this satellite that they just shot up yesterday. And it was breaking news in Israel. What it is, is a spy satellite. And that was shot up yesterday. But what they did last week is they blew up um, a nuclear plant and um, I said it made news in the States and uh, I said, Zev, it was you, right? And he says, of course it was us. (laughs) And um, this is just escalating more and more and more and all they have to do, the other prophecy that's going to happen, I believe shortly, is Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1 the complete destruction of Damascus. This is where Assad's headquarters are. And um, um, when that happens, all they have to do is launch one over. It doesn't have to be nuclear. It could be a um, dirty bomb or, or whatever. And that's all it'll take to trigger Ezekiel chapter 38. Not to mention that since we met last, Putin has become president for life in Russia. For the next 36 years, Putin is in charge of Russia. You know what that makes him? That makes him Gog. And so we're having all this happen at one time. All this stuff is coming together. So the coming of the Lord is soon, and I want to get sidetracked on Sunday. We're going to do chapter 38, which is the battle itself, I actually think um, gives explanation. It says the nations are going to come against Israel. And we wonder why we're not mentioned in Bible prophecy. Well, we might be seeing why we're not involved in Bible prophecy unfolding right before our eyes. And talk about lawlessness being one of the signs. It's just uh, off the charts. That's, that's the word they're using on the news. <laughs> lawlessness. So we're, we're close to the coming of the Lord, it is, it is late. So, um, here is the prayer, and in the middle of the prayer, while well, he's still praying, so imagine that Daniel's still praying. This prayer, by the way, I timed it, is three minutes and 19 seconds. You can read it for yourself, just set the stopwatch. And uh, after three minutes and 19 seconds, we have, now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God on the holy mountain of God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision in the beginning, uh, being caused to fly swiftly, uh, swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. So the way I got it figured out here If the prayer is three minutes and 19 seconds, now you know how long it takes an angel to get from heaven to earth. It takes three minutes and 19 seconds. Now, but it's interesting. It says, while I was speaking, all of a sudden he shows up. Well, it's not the man Gabriel. We're talking about Gabriel, an angel, apparently here in human form. 
The time of his appearance was at the hour of the evening sacrifice in Jerusalem, which would be approximately uh, three o'clock in the afternoon. And we have um, Gabriel showing up. This next verse is a very important verse in 22. And he informed me, and he talked with me, and he said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the command went out. So when he started with his confession, he was sent. And I have come to tell you, notice, first of all, you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Um, What I'm about to say is extremely important. I like to call it relationship before revelation. And it's important that we know these things. But it's more important, and Gabriel tells Daniel, right before he gives him the revelation, that God loves him. And so before I give you the information of the revelation, it's more important to know that God loves you And that relationship with him is more important than the revelation about him. Good place for an amen. Good place for an amen. (laughs) And so there's this healthy balance that's there. I was reading in uh, Wisdom for Today, was it today or yesterday, about um, the nature of the Lord. And he says, come and learn of me because I'm lowly and meek of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And it talked about just, I I look at some of these uh, evangelists on TV and how hyperactive they are and how not at peace they are. And um, they're failing to represent the very character just by their demeanor that they have behind the pulpit. Pastor Chuck always taught us, he says, just teach the word of God, simply teach it, simply. Don't elaborate, don't prance around the stage, just be yourself. And um, I remember when I first started, I thought, well, who do I want to be like? Billy Graham. So I tried to preach and teach like Billy Graham. Problem was, I wasn't Billy Graham. (laughs) And every person has their own personality. And every person is different. Every person is unique. But when we stand before people or when we witness to people, boy, they're watching you close. Do you have that peace that passes human understanding? How are you handling a global pandemic? And um, if they sense that you have a peace about you in the middle of a storm, they're going to be much more open to hear what you have to say. And... um, Paul in the New Testament says, provoke his people through jealousy. Jealous of what? Of the peace that you and I have because of our relationship, knowing that we're greatly loved. And if you have that, then that should be manifested um, in the same way, come and learn of me. I am lowly and, and humble and gentle of heart. So that should be what we're projecting and what people are seeing. 
Right? Not this hyper-Pentecostalism. That's simply not the, uh, the nature of the Lord. So you are greatly beloved, therefore consider and understand uh, the... the um, before we get into the, uh, the study of uh, the seven weeks. Okay, this is what I never saw before, not what I thought was very, very interesting. Here, Daniel is told that he is greatly loved. Daniel is the instrument that God uses in writing this book. And then I thought, well, on Sundays, we're going through the book of Revelation. And I never thought of this until today, or saw it until today, and the author of that God chooses to use in the book of Revelation is John. How did John refer to himself? He referred to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. So we got Daniel in the Old Testament, he's greatly loved. He's the instrument being used. Now we have the apostle John, who is the instrument that God uses in writing Revelation, and he, that's how he refers to himself, as that disciple whom Jesus loved. Love, a relationship before revelation. I just thought that was interesting. Um, verse 24a, let's just look at the first part of this here. <clears throat> Seventy weeks are determined. I'm going to stop right there. For your people and your holy city. Seventy weeks does not mean seven days any more than it means seven weeks, means weeks of seven years or a period of time. The Hebrew word for seven is Shabua, meaning a unit of measure. It would be comparable to our word for a dozen, a dozen eggs or um, a dozen bananas, whatever you want to have a dozen of. So here, uh, 70 weeks means 70 sevens. It could be 70 sevens of anything. It could be units of days or months or years. But in the context of this verse, it is plain that Daniel has been reading in Jeremiah about years, 70 years. Jeremiah had been preaching and writing that the captivity would be for 70 years. The seven years of captivity were the, the specific penalty for violating 70 sabbatical years that would be 77s or a total of 490 years. In those 490 years, Israel had violated exactly 70 Sabbath years, so they would go into captivity for 70 years to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore uh, and ten years. So basically, they were supposed to, every seven years, let the land rest, but they didn't do it. And they didn't do it for 490 years. And so if you go back to the very first, second verse here, Daniel is, is uh, telling us, I understood um, by reading Jeremiah, that he would accomplish 70 years. Why 70? Because it was that 490-year period of time uh, that um, they had violated the Sabbath rest. So what, what that gives us 
is one week equals seven years, 70 weeks equals 490 years, uh, 70 weeks we're gonna find out as we get into this a little bit more deeply. Uh, seven weeks um, is divided into three periods, seven weeks, 62 weeks, and then verse 27 is one week. Now 24b, it says for your people and your holy city. So what we have in view here, the 70 weeks concerns, and this is important, thy people. Um, and the holy city. So it concerns Jerusalem and the Jewish people, which in those 70 weeks or 490 years, we will see as we progress at our study that 69 of those weeks have already passed and one week is yet fulfilled. So most of this is past history. It's come and it's gone. We're in a period of time right now that's called the church age, And um, the clock stopped when Israel, and we'll we'll get to this in just a little bit, the 69 weeks stopped when Jesus said to the nation of Israel, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And these were the last words that I actually spoke to the nation of Israel. If you're taking notes again, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Then it goes on to tell us that there are six things that are going to be accomplished in that 490-year period of time as it pertains, notice, to Israel and the, and the city of Jerusalem. The first one is uh, to finish the transgression. This refers to the transgression of Israel. Uh, the cross provided the redemption for sin, for the sin of the nation, but not all accepted it. Um, eventually, Israel will accept it. It tells us in Zechariah, in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. This has not yet been opened, All you have to do is look at the land of Israel and you'll know that it has not been fulfilled, but the stage is set. They're there for 72 years now and um, this refers to a yet future um, event. The second one is to make an end of sin. Uh, The national sins of Israel will come to an end at the second coming of Christ. Uh, They are just like any other people or any other nation. They are sinners as individuals, as a a nation. Uh, They have made many mistakes as a nation, so have we. But God will make an end to that. The third one, we're told to make reconciliation for iniquity or sin. During this period of 70 weeks, God has provided Redemption, of course, through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness refers to the return of Christ at the end of the 490 years, and that's when he establishes the kingdom. To seal up prophecy and vision means that all will be fulfilled 
which will vindicate this prophecy as well as the other prophecies in scripture. And the last one is to anoint the most holy. Um, This could be a, a couple things, but I think it refers to the anointing of the Holy of Holies in the Millennial Temple. And if you're interested in tracking that down, um, it would be in Ezekiel 41 through 46. I could get sidetracked here a little bit. Uh, we're gonna find that uh, in between, if on Sunday we're gonna be in 38 and 39, 38 is the war, 39 is the cleanup, and that lasts for seven years. That's important that you know that the cleanup is a seven-year period of time. And we, we have also, it tells us that the Messiah will be having the oversight of the building of the temple. And you can be a Berean and go and look at the chapter that talks about the building of the temple, and it's between uh, the chronological order is 38 and 39, uh, and then beginning with chapter 40 all the way to the end, uh, 48, those eight chapters specifically deal with the millennial reign and the rebuilding of the temple, but the Messiah is the one who does the oversight. So basically what's happening right now is Israel is getting set up. And um, they, well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Just hold that thought and we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets will be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. I'm gonna put a chart up on the screen that you're familiar with. It's from Sir Robert Anderson. The name of his book is called The Coming Prince. And basically, um, uh, he worked out the mathematics of this. If we go back to verse 20. Five, we've got to have a starting point. Um, know therefore and understand it from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So the question comes up, um, when was this command given and who gave it? With that, I'd like you to turn back to the book of Nehemiah, chapter two. And while you're turning and finding that, The first seven weeks of the 49 years brings us to 397 B.C. into Malachi and the end of the Old Testament. They were troublesome times. We talked about this when we talked about the Maccabean Revolt and Antioch Epiphanies a couple Sundays ago, as witnessed by both Nehemiah and Malachi. 62 weeks, or 434 years, brings us to the Messiah. Sir Robert Anderson, in his book, The Coming Prince, has worked out the time schedule from the first month, Nizon, to the 10th of Nizon, which would be April 6th, 32 AD, uh, or 173,880 days, dividing them according to the Jewish year of a 360-day calendar year. 
he arrives at 483 years or 69 sevens. And um, this is the day that the Lord allowed himself to be worshipped as he rode that the donkey, and I'll be taking you there, but first of all, let's go to um, Nehemiah chapter two. Artaxerxes is the king, and we find, and I'm just gonna read the the first eight verses and let it speak for himself. Excuse me. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king now, I had never been sad in his presence before. Um, Nehemiah was always, the glass was always half full, not half empty. He was positive, he was upbeat, but not, to, not today. He had just gotten word um, in chapter one that um, Jerusalem uh, is in shambles, the people are depressed, and um, nobody's working. I'm rebuilding the temple. They're sort of doing their own thing. And he had just gotten that word, but he still had to be faithful with his day job, which was being a wine bearer to King Artaxerxes. But he came in and he's all bummed out. And the king is reading his body language. And therefore the king said to me, why is your face sad? Since you're not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. Then I became dreadfully afraid. See, you couldn't be sad in the presence of the king. And he said to the king, may the, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. And then the king said to me, what's your request? What do you want, Nehemiah? And I like this. It's one of those quickie prayers. So I prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, If it please the king and your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Uh, Know that from the going forth of the command until Messiah will be 69 weeks. Here's where it comes from. Then the king said to me, the queen was also sitting beside him, how long are you going to be gone for? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I, I gave him a date when I'd return. Uh, furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the rivers that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And also I'd like a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city, wall for the house that I will occupy, And the king granted them to him according to the good hand of my God upon me. Here is Nehemiah. He's got marching orders from Artaxerxes himself. The king's stamp and seal is on it. Nobody messes with Nehemiah. You give him whatever he wants to accomplish the rebuilding of of the gates of the city for the temple and for his own personal dwelling while he's there. All right, turn with me from here, and let's go from Daniel 9, verse 25, to Luke chapter 19. Whenever the Lord would do a miracle, he would often say, "Um, don't tell anyone. 
Don't let it be known. One would say, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And he said, yeah, but don't worship me now. And he would tell them not to do it. It didn't always work because um, uh, they would go and proclaim it anyway. This is the exception. This is what we call Palm Sunday. And if you're in Luke 19, let's pick it up in verse 37. As he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitudes of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Now they're going to quote Psalm 118, where it says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, there's more to that in Psalm 118, so I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 118. And a full rendering of that. Let's pick it up at verse 22. This will be quoted in Luke 20. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is going to quote this to the religious leaders. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now in Luke, it doesn't tell us that this is the day. But it's actually referring to the day that Daniel is talking about um, to the day, 173,880 days after the command was given by Nehemiah. And you take that and it brings you to um, April 6, 32 AD. That day is what's being made reference to in verse 24. And then it says, we'll rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord, verse 25. Said now prosperity, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right, back to Luke 19. They quote part of it, but not all of it. Now, some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And... um, they, they were saying they actually think that you're the Messiah because they're quoting Psalm 118 and the scribes and the Pharisees knew it was a messianic psalm. Now there's different kinds of psalms. There's praise psalms, there's, there's sorrow of heart psalms, there's prophetic psalms, and Psalm 118, they knew rightly well, was about the Messiah. So they yell at Jesus and said, rebuke these people. They actually think you're the Messiah. Notice what the Lord says in verse 40. He says, and answered them, I tell you that if they would keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Because this is the day. And it becomes more clear as we read on through verse 44. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he began to weep over it. And he said, oh, if you had only known, even especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. There's an implication here. And the implication is Daniel knew what was going on because he studied the word of God, primarily the book of Jeremiah. He's telling them, you guys should know this stuff. Um, You should have been knowing about Daniel chapter nine 
And uh, we're actually going to close the study tonight in Matthew 24 where Jesus is going to verify everything that Daniel is, is prophesying. Uh, so he weeps because he knows that they're not going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matter of fact, the Lord says, you're not going to see me again until you do say that. Then he prophesies. This prophecy here is going to be repeated in verse 26 of Daniel 9. So let's read it first here in Luke 19. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because, I have that underlined, you did not know the time of your visitation. And again, the idea is they were supposed to. And the because is, now the consequences are going to be um, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. All right, let's go back to Daniel. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets will be built again and while even in troublesome times. And then, so we have the starting date. And then after the 62 weeks, uh, and actually 69, Messiah is going to be cut off. And the word there is actually... Um, um, executed, but not for himself. I mean, here's the whole gospel in the first part of uh, Matthew 9, verse 26. Jesus comes, he dies uh, for you and for me, but he was without sin, but not for himself. And then he says, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is just what we read in Luke chapter 19. Jesus prophesied, he says, because you weren't reading Daniel chapter nine, this is the day, because you don't know that, this is going to happen. Now we have more, a little bit more detail here. The people of the prince who is to come were introduced to the prince. And we're not to get that confused with Messiah the prince. This prince is a reference to the Antichrist. And the reason we say that the Antichrist has to come out of the revived Roman Empire is because of this verse right here. The people who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, we know were were the the 10th Roman Legion. We know that as a fact. It happened 38 years later after Jesus gave the prophecy in Luke 19. That was 32 AD. So 38 years later, it was fulfilled. And then we're told that, uh, and the people of the prince who is to come as a future reference to the Antichrist. And we'll come back to that when we get to uh, verse 27. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it will be with a flood until the end of war desolations are determined. Now the clock stops. The Lord comes, they don't recognize him. He weeps over Jerusalem because he knows the consequences of that rejection. 
And he clearly is pointing out that they should have known the day. And the place that that's revealed to us is in Daniel chapter 9. To the day. And this is why it's one of the most incredible, if not the most incredible prophecy in the Bible. Because it knocks it down to the day. And that day again is April 6th, according to Sir Robert Anderson. Um, He was uh, the head of Scotland Yard uh, for a time. Uh, April 6th, 32 AD, exactly 173,880 days. Then the clock stopped, and we have a gap between verse 26 and 27. Now, I've made mention of this before to get used to it, and um, let me just use, um, let's go back to Luke 19 and what I didn't read about the Lord riding the donkey down the Mount of Olives. Well, that's a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, your king comes to you lowly, riding on a colt of a fold, one who's never been ridden before. That's in verse 9. But then in verse 10, it jumps all the way into the millennium and it says, the one who's coming, riding lowly, is gonna reign from sea to sea. It's clearly a reference to the kingdom age. What's your point, Dwight? Well, I wanna make it here. There's a gap in Zechariah 9, between verse 9 and 10, of at least 2,000 years. Same here. And so in verse 27, it says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now this is an important verse because we're talking, and this is debated and argued in many circles, but you can't get around a seven year period of time that's designated specifically to Israel. And um, the one week here, the he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, that's a seven year period of time. So the he, if you go back to verse 26, the people of the prince who is to come, he's the he. He, It's a reference to the Antichrist. So what's happening right now? Well, things are heating up in the Middle East. And if you think uh, COVID-19 has caused the world to spit upside down, just think for a second what it would do up here, if, you, if you're not saved and you wake up the next morning and millions of people are no longer on planet Earth, that'll mess with your noodle. And it'll put you in, in such a state of what in the world has happened. Millions of people have been removed from planet Earth. And the reason that Israel will be so set up for this, um, most of Israel is secular. Uh, They do have Orthodox and Messiah believers, but for the most part, it's a secular um, country. And I know um, um, Rabbi Richmond, and I've known him uh, since we were both young, when when he first started. And when we have this discussion, uh, he comes right out and says that only the Messiah can oversee the building of the temple. Now, he's going back to Ezekiel where that's where it says that. So they're looking for one who will 
build the temple for them. So what's happening right now? They're getting set up big time. And the day after the rapture, um, we're going to have him, and when we get to the first seal that's opened, the very first seal of the seven-year period of time is a rider on a white horse. We won't be there for a couple weeks, at least. (laughs) And it is a picture of the Antichrist right at the beginning of that seven-year period of time. And the first thing he does is makes an agreement with Israel a peace plan for seven years. Now, the Oslo Peace Accord was actually a peace accord that was supposed to be lasting for seven years. Um, Of course, there's not. And it's one of the big questions in the world today. Um, What I think is going to trigger this war is this whole debate about annexing Samaria and Judea, uh, Samaria and uh, um, Judah. And um, that's what is being debated in every government around the world today, and everybody's got an opinion on it one way or the other. But they're going to do it. And now we're pushes coming to shove, and we can see how this thing could just explode overnight. So we're out of here, and um, he makes this agreement with Israel, and part of that agreement will be they're looking for a man to oversee um, who they believe is the Messiah. Another word for antichrist isn't against Christ necessarily, but a counterfeit Christ, so to speak. He's known as a man of peace. That's what he's called. And um, then in the middle of the week, so now we go three and a half years into the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter six, verse one is the beginning. And three and a half years later, um, we have him breaking this agreement. Uh, He shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offerings. So we have that implemented again of of the sacrifice and offerings. And on the wings of an abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. The prince here is a Roman. He is the little horn of Daniel 7. He is the beast of Revelation chapter 13. After the church is removed from the earth, he will make a covenant with Israel. Israel will accept him as her Messiah. But in the middle of the week, he will break his covenant by placing an image in the temple, that's Revelation 13, if you're taking notes, of himself. This is the abomination of desolation. Uh, And only the coming of of the Lord can end this uh, terrible period of, of time. Turn with me as we begin to close up to Matthew chapter 24. And I want you to see that the Lord reaffirms our Bible study that we had tonight in Daniel chapter 9. Again, probably one of the greatest prayers in the Bible, but again, probably one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible. Um, Matthew 24 
verse 15, the Lord says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, he is calling Daniel a prophet. He is verifying exactly what we just read in Daniel 9, verse 27, where he breaks the covenant and places himself in it. And this is one of the few places where we have parentheses where it says, whoever reads, let him understand. My question is, understand what? The same thing that Jesus was telling the religious leaders in Luke chapter 19. You didn't get it. You did not understand the time of your coming, my coming. And as a result, these will be the consequences. Here, the Lord himself is saying, you gotta understand two things here. You gotta understand what has been, Daniel chapter nine, that's what he's pointing to in this verse, verse 27, and then you also have to understand what's going to be in the future, and that is yet future for us while we're still here. When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, whosoever reads, let him understand. This is when he goes about, let's end by looking at Revelation 13. This is when the real persecution, Revelation 13 is about the Antichrist. Uh, Verse five says he was given a mouth speaking great things. This is after the assassination attempt which was evidently successful. He comes back to life. And it says that he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Well, this is the second half of the tribulation period. 42 months is another way of saying three and a half years. Um, The other thing that's going on here that I should put in is right at the beginning of the seven years, Moses and Elijah have... Well, let's just go back one chapter to Revelation 11. And it tells us about these two witnesses. And the length of their ministry is important here because it tells us the time frame that their ministry is. Verse three, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days. How long is that? Three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the whole earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from the mouth and devours their enemies. And if anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Uh, These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. We went and covered that. Happened before with the same man, Elijah, during Ahab's day. And they have power over water to turn it to blood. Sounds like Moses to me. And to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Now verse seven. Now when they had finished their testimony, how long is their testimony? 1,260 days. It says, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. And all the world will be watching this. Fox News probably. But we have, we're the first generation that has the capacity to actually go somewhere around anywhere in the world and watch it live. 
and they're going to watch their dead bodies in in and they're going to leave them in the street for three and a half days. What have they been doing for 1,260 days? Preaching the gospel. They're witnesses. Of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'll go back to chapter 13 and verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints. Well, that would include the two witnesses. And to overcome them, an authority was given him over every tribe, nation, and tongue. And so what is foretold in Daniel, the little horn, the Antichrist, uh, the prince of the people that came and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, uh, he has, uh, he is a type, the last one was Antioch Epiphanes. This is the one who will have the last three and a half years of, of authority. And I want to end this on a, on a good note, so go to chapter 19, and let me show you where this guy ends up. This is the second coming, as we close tonight, right on time. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he doesn't come this time riding on a little donkey. This time it's a white stallion. And on his robe and the size written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The first time he came humbly as a servant. The second time he comes as a warrior. With the sword that'll come out of his mouth and destroy all of his enemies. When the battle is over, it says in verse 20 that the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. What's their fate? Um, He's going to have his time of being worshipped. That's what Satan has always desired. That was the reason he led the first rebellion. He wanted to be like the Most High. But um, he ends up, if you go to uh, chapter 20, I like reading this verse. This guy's given me such a hard time over the last 40 some years. <laughs> and the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, that they may be tormented day and night forever and ever. They have to live with themselves. And they're evil. And uh, we see evil today in lawlessness. And what's not often brought into the equation, it's not just political and um, not just biblical, but it's spiritual. Because behind all of this, what's going on in the world right now, is really a precursor to the man of sin and Lucifer specifically, and where uh, comes his judgment. So with that much of a happy note, (laughs) let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, as we consider Daniel's prayer, um, a prayer of repentance, and he prayed for himself. He said his own sins. No sins are recorded of of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, 
but yet he considered himself also part of the judgment that came uh, because of his, his sin, whatever that might have been. So Lord, we, um, in closing tonight, uh, thank you for Daniel chapter nine and that your word has so perfectly come to pass uh, when you came the first time. It gives us just great comfort and confidence to know that you have a plan for us and that you have a seven-year plan yet that has not been fulfilled, that is yet future. So Lord, as we go out tonight at, in this troubled world, at least we know what's going on. And we know that you hold the future and you tell us ahead of time what's going to be. So let us not make the mistake that Israel made by not studying your word, especially the book of Daniel, especially Daniel chapter 9. We thank you for your word and we pray that as we go out tonight, we would have that peace, that we would have not the peace that the world gives, but the peace that you gave us. And help us represent you correctly before people, Lord, with that, um, when we're told to take on your yoke, which is not difficult, but it's easy. And we're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Authority. And I want to end this on a, on a good note, so go to chapter 19, and let me show you where this guy ends up. This is the second coming. As we close tonight, right on time. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he doesn't come this time riding on a little donkey. This time it's a white stallion. And on his robe and the side is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The first time he came humbly as a servant. The second time he comes as a warrior with a sword that'll come out of his mouth and destroy all of his enemies. When the battle is over, it says in verse 20 that the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. What's their fate? Um, He's going to have his time of being worshipped. That's what Satan has always desired. That was the reason he led the first rebellion. He wanted to be like the Most High. But um, he ends up, if you go to uh, chapter 20, I like reading this verse. This guy's given me such a hard time over the last 40-some years. <laughs> and the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, that they may be tormented day and night forever and ever. They have to live with themselves, and they're evil. And uh, we see evil today in lawlessness, and what's not often what it's brought into the equation It's not just political and um, not just biblical, but it's spiritual. Because behind all of this, what's going on in the world right now is really a precursor 
to the man of sin and Lucifer specifically and where uh, comes his judgment. So with that much of a happy note, (laughs) let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, as we consider Daniel's prayer, um, a prayer of repentance, and he prayed for himself. He said his own sins. No sins are recorded of, of Daniel in the book of Daniel, but yet he considered himself also part of the judgment that came uh, because of his, his sin, whatever that might have been. So Lord, we, um, in closing tonight, uh, thank you for Daniel chapter nine and that your word has so perfectly come to pass uh, when you came the first time. It gives us just great comfort and confidence to know that you have a plan for us and that you have a seven-year plan yet that has not been fulfilled, that is yet future. So, Lord, as we go out tonight in this troubled world, at least we know what's going on. And we know that you hold the future and you tell us ahead of time what's going to be. So let us not make the mistake that Israel made by not studying your word, especially the book of Daniel, especially Daniel chapter 9. We thank you for... Your word, and we pray that as we go out tonight, we would have that peace, that we would have not the peace that the world gives, but the peace that you gave us. And help us represent you correctly before people, Lord, with that, um, when we're told to take on your yoke, which is not difficult, but it's easy. And we're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen.